chapter 10 tonight. Genesis chapter number 10. Uh, we'll get started tonight. I want to read verses 1 through 5. Just for sake of time tonight, we won't read the whole uh, chapter. Uh, we're going to go through the whole chapter, and we will have eventually read it, but we're going to go section by section just to save us a little bit of time so we can work our way through. But essentially, this chapter is going to be set up to give us the, the division of the three uh, sons, uh, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, it's going to go in a different order than that. Uh, but nevertheless, what we're going to find is that as we look back to chapter 9, and, and, and onward uh, and backward, rather, uh, into the story of Noah and the account of him and his sons going through the flood, we find that it is repeatedly given as Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, Shem is given the order of importance in the first uh, of importance, not because he's the oldest, but because it's going to be through his line that the Messiah, the promised seed, promised uh, there in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, is going to come. And so because of that importance, Shem is often referred to as the first. What we're going to find tonight is that in chapter 10, it's going to go Japheth mentioned in the first five verses, then uh, in 6 through 20, it's going to be that of Ham, and he's going to be the, the cursed lineage that's going to go through, and so much unfaithfulness, so much wickedness, and we'll see some of that tonight. We'll touch on a little bit of it. And uh, just to help you out a little bit, once we get into Nimrod and a little bit about Babel here in chapter 10, we're going to go a little bit deep. And then we're going to come back out of it just to let our brains process, and we'll dive back into it once we get into chapter 11. We're going to look heavy in chapter 11 at uh, the Babylonian mystery religion of what is, uh, what's going to be uh, seen even today and trace that lineage of the wickedness and the paganism and the idolatry that was seen at Babel and as well as what we see in modern day world and unfortunately in much modern day Christianity today. Uh, so we're going to see how that all lines up and as well as how that's going to play such a major role and part in the end times. Uh, and so we'll get into a little bit. We probably just, y'all already know, I don't even have to tell you, we're not going to make it there that uh, tonight, okay? Uh, nevertheless, then the chapter ends with getting into the righteous lineage that's going to lead ultimately in just a chapter to Abram, and that's going to be through the lineage of Shem, where we get uh, the, the lineage of uh, the Semites or uh, the, the, the people of the, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people. And so we'll get into all that. So there's three major sections here based upon the sons. And we'll, let's pick up here, looking at the sons of Japheth in verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> now these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And unto them were sons born after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer and Magog, now that's an important name to remember for later on, and Madai, and Javan, and Tubal, and Meshach, and Tyrus, and the sons of Gomer, and Ashkenaz, uh, y'all like that name, Ashkenaz? You're going to see all sorts of names in here tonight, and just go ahead and rest assured, I don't know how to pronounce them any better than you do, I'm just better at faking it, okay? Ashkenaz, and Ripath, and uh, Togarma, I don't know if that, that's probably right, and the sons of Javan, Elisha, and Tarshish, and Kittim, and Dardanim. By these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands, everyone after his tongue, after their families, and their nations. Now here in five verses, we've got a whole bunch of folks that are already mentioned, and we've got to remember this before we get any further, and I'll mention it again here in just a little while, and then after I mention it in a little while, I'll probably mention it again later on after that, just to remind us that chapter 10 is not a church directory nor a phone book. This is not a dictionary of everybody and everybody that ever lived, but rather this is showing us the lineage of folks, sons and grandsons specifically. We've got to remember that there's other folks being born during this time as well. There's going to be a whole bunch of daughters, there's going to be a whole bunch of sons, and they're going to do a whole lot of marrying and a whole lot of having babies, right? 
what we find is much like before the flood, after the flood, the same is taking place where there's going to be a huge population increase very quickly, very rapidly between the families as they grow, as they have left the ark. And here's what we get now. In chapter 10, we're going to be getting the details of these 70 nations, if you will. The table of nations is what this chapter is often called. And these are the ones that are going to be spreading after the, uh, after the confusion and the dispersion there at the Tower of Babel in the first part of chapter 11. Now you say, why do we put that here in chapter 10 instead of after the Tower of Babel? We've got to understand that many of these folks are being born before the Tower of Babel comes to be, but they are going to still yet be a part of, as Genesis 11.1 1 says, and the whole earth was of one language and one of one speech. So there is still a union. There is still a universality to their language, to their speech. Uh, now what language do they speak? I don't know. Matter of fact, none of us do. Uh, nevertheless, it's not for us to know, nor is it of that great of importance. Nevertheless, we find that there's a unity, that they all share a commonality, a singularity within themselves. And so they are uh, bound and, and, and have a bond uh, with one another, with everybody. And so what we're going to find is that these are going to be the groups that are going to spread throughout the rest of the world. Now, uh, let's see. Uh, Miss Cameron, could you do me a favor? Could you go to the back and get me a chart? Or uh, let me borrow yours. Or, Noel, are you going to use it? Okay, is this on live stream? We'll see. <laughs> All right, this will be fun. Thank you. We'll stick it in the blooper reel. All right, thank you. I meant to get me one. Um, all right, because I wrote me a note here on my notes that says, see chart handout, and then I looked and I couldn't see it because I didn't have one. Now, if you look at your chart handout, everybody got one? Everybody? Oh, she's missing one? Okay. <laughs> it's right here. Uh, <laughs> now, what you'll see at the top here, uh, first of all, your eye is going to go probably immediately to that map, all right? Uh, that map is going to show you uh, roughly the table of nations here in chapter 10, um, the area of which these folks are going to go. You see Ham there migrating into Arabia and into Africa. You find Shem uh, going a little more east. You find Japheth heading off into Europe. Now, this is a rough uh, rough go. There's other maps and other things that go into more detail if you do some research and look at some other resources and things. But I tried to give you something fairly basic tonight just to help you out a little bit to see that region. Uh, and, and it's going to as well give you the names of some of these major sons and grandsons of Noah. And then what we see above that is the genealogical table of descendants of Noah. <coughs> Excuse me. You see Japheth, Ham, and Shem in that order here on the table. And this is going to give you the lineage of their sons and their grandsons, which would be Noah's great-grandsons, all right? And so what we find is that you've got a whole wide range of folks in this. And here's what we find. Every single group of people that is alive today comes from these three boys and ultimately can be seen interwoven through these folks. Uh, now then, as you go above it, this is what I, what I, was, uh, I really liked about this chart, why I wanted to include it. This helps us with the broader view as we scope back out, right? As we sort of take a step back and we look at Genesis as a whole. Genesis 5 showed us the faithful lineage that brought about Noah, right? But then Genesis 4 and Genesis 6 showed us this sort of unrighteous lineage that sort of skirts around here is what they got here in the chart. Then we've got the flood that lasts for about a total of a year or so and gives you the scripture there, Genesis 6 through chapter 9. And then Genesis 10, we've got the lineage being given of Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And this is going to be where all of the nations come from. So, no matter what nation, tribe, tongue, or people group that there is, no matter what ethnic background you can find, 
uh, no matter what uh, color pigment of skin you got, you will go back to Shem, Ham, or Japheth, right? You won't go to a fourth son. You won't find anybody else because this is all that there was. There was eight folks on the ark. That's it, plain and simple. But hold on to this chart. It might help you a little bit just to have a little bit of a visual as we go through chapter 10 and we see some of these things. And as well, you can later on look at that and you could flip back to the back part of your, of your Bible uh, and you probably have a map in your Bible somewhere. If not, go out and buy you a Bible with a map. And if you can't get one, we'll get you one because I'm pretty sure we got some around here somewhere. And you can take a look at that and you see a, a broader range and you can figure out where all is going. And then if you feel really curious tonight, here's what you do. And I hope to see a whole bunch of you migrating out there tonight. Go out to our mission board tonight. And you can go out to that giant map of the world. You can see that the world is, is, is flat. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it, it's there on the map. And what you see is all the continents, all the places of all time, right? And what you can do is you can look and see where all these people groups come from. And they come from these three boys in one little region. And can you imagine this, that all the DNA for everybody that is alive today at one point in time was floating on a boat in the middle of a storm. It's kind of wild to think about. And what this also does for us, and, and chapter 10 is going to be a reminder for us tonight of the providence of God. God's hand has been a part of His creation from start to finish. God did not make a clock, wind it up, and set it on its own and figure out, okay, well, it'll just do its thing, and when it goes off, then, then, then I'll come back to it and pick it up again. No, God is very much involved with every part of His creation, specifically to bring about the, the plan of redemption through the lineage of Shem, going back through Noah, through uh, the, the seed of the woman. And ultimately what we're going to find about that group is though they will be sinners, yet they will be faithful, trusting in God's promise and provision for salvation. And now as we look here, chapter 10 serves not as a total documentation of every living human being, but rather showing the development of the nations, the tongues, and the direction of the people. Now this chapter will serve to be a broad view of the developing of nations and the setting up to focus after the dispersion after the Tower of Babel to the lineage of the seed of the woman, which will go through Abraham of the Semites. You ever wondered as you read through some of these lineages that you sort of get to a person and then they mention the name, but then they don't tell anything else about them? You know why? It's because they didn't rightly matter that much. That They kind of get just stuck, stuck off to the side. And you go, well, why is that? Well, it's because there's ultimately one lineage that mattered. And it was the lineage that's going to lead to the Messiah. There's no greater lineage than that. Matter of fact, it's the royal lineage. It's the messianic lineage. It's the promised lineage. It's the faithful lineage. It is the lineage of which even you and I, by faith, are a part of. Now, you and I might not be literal sons of Abraham, yet we find that by faith we are sons of Abraham. You and I are saved the same way that Abraham was saved, by grace through faith, that it is faith in the Lord, and it is accounted, imputed unto us for righteousness. And so we find the same way that Abraham was saved, the same way that you and I are saved tonight. So praise the Lord that salvation has not changed. It's just that you and I now can see clearly Christ in focus as we look back to the cross and we look forward to what He's going to do. Uh, as we have talked about and we've seen and haven't heard before, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And so you and I now as New Testament believers are able to see with clearer eyes and a greater and more clear vision by faith to look at Christ, the promised one, from the very uh, first portions of Genesis all the way throughout the book of Revelation. Now as we look here, Scroggy writes, this is a record of great importance historically, politically, geographically, genealogically, and biographically. Let me pause for just a moment. How many of y'all in your, in your Bible reading 
love to read the lineages. None of y'all are raising your hand? Look, look at your pastor. He's not even raising his hand. Right? It's, it's difficult, let's be honest. Some of us, we get to chapter 10, right? We start our yearly Bible reading plan. We go, okay, got the first three chapters down. That was good. Okay, chapters 4, 5, and 6. Okay, it wasn't too bad. Chapter 5, we got through it. We got through it, right? Chapter 6 comes along. Ooh, ooh, things are getting crazy now. Chapter 7, 8, and 9, we got the flood. Things are exciting. And then we get chapter 10, and we're like, uh, and Shem, Ham, and Japheth, J- J- uh, Gomer, Magog, Meta. And then now we're confused about pronouncing the names. We're skipping over names now. We're trying to get to chapter 11. We're just trying to figure out how does this even matter and why does this matter? Here's the thing. This matters. You know why? Because it's there. Right? So all Scripture is given by God, inspired for our benefit, for our reproof, for our correction, our instruction in righteousness. Right? So we need this. Why do we need this lineage? Because ultimately, we need to see the historicity of the coming of Christ and the promise and the genuine fact that God, who we have not seen, spoke to His creation that He made, formed and fashioned, called a man out named Abraham, made a covenant with him, and through him is going to bring about this Messiah. And ultimately, that you and I get to be a part of that lineage of faith. And so we find that this is God's providence. This is God's grace that we get to see this lineage. Because if this lineage isn't here, I've got a little bit less reason to trust this Bible. This shows me all the more that God is trustworthy and that God cares and is at work in His creation from start to finish, all right? So, let's be honest. Genealogies are hard to read. Genealogies are not fun to read. Now, you might think that's the most unspiritual thing I've ever heard Pastor Joe say in my whole life. That's okay. They're difficult. However, what we find is that they are still beneficial. Let's put it this way. How many of y'all love, now probably get a mixed reaction here, how many of y'all love to just eat veggies? That's it. No sweets, no meat, only veggies, that's it. All right, someone's got some health nuts out there somewhere, right? Or you just do it to a shame right now, okay, that's all right. But you know that you're supposed to eat it, right? So you do, you eat a salad every now and again, you eat that you crunch up that celery and you, you pull the strings out of your teeth and all that stuff like it's a loose guitar string. You dip it in peanut butter or ranch or some sort of dip today, right? Today we had about half a bag of carrots and you know what we dipped it in? Mexican ranch, right? You know why? Because nobody really likes the carrot. They just like what they're dipping in. No one really likes celery. They just like peanut butter. Now here's what we've got to understand. This, as difficult as it is, as tough as it is for us to chew sometimes, it is for our good. And so here's what we've got to do when we come to a challenging passage. <clears throat> one, when we come to the challenging passage, we could either, one, go around it and skip over it, or two, we could face it head on and we could see the greater purpose that God is doing in this. And so you and I need to see by faith what God is doing in the greater, bigger scale. Because you ever notice what happens sometimes? Say you're at work or you're doing a project and you forget the big picture, you know what happens? You get grumpy, right? I get grumpy. So if we come to our Bible and we come to a passage like this and we're feeling kind of grumpy about having to read chapter 10 in our daily Bible reading, or we come to Leviticus or or Numbers, right? Who loves that? That's everybody's favorite book of the Bible, isn't it, right? Yeah, not so much. Nobody's life verse is coming out of Leviticus or Numbers, right? I don't think. Now here's what happens. 
You can either, one, go around it and think it's not important for you, or you can go, let's see what God is doing in the bigger picture, okay? That always helps us. Now, what is the bigger picture that God's doing? The bigger picture is found in Christ. So, when you see the passage, look to Jesus, and you will get through it, all right? As a matter of fact, you'll get through it with some more joy because you'll find that no matter what the passage is, it's going to lead us ultimately onward to Christ. Now, Scroggy continues on, he says, It does not pretend to be a complete record, but the selection is in keeping with the design of the whole biblical story. The scope of the, of the record is seen in the world's lands, tongues, families, nations, and the method is that which is characteristic of the book of Genesis. Namely, first of all, to dispose of lateral material, meaning stuff that's, yeah, it's, you know, we're focusing on what's important here, and then uh, to concentrate on the main material and the unfolding of the redemptive purpose. So here's how you know something's important. One, it keeps getting repeated. Two, it, it keeps following that story. And three, it's leading in the redemptive story of all things, either through the lineages pointing to Christ, or through the law pointing to Christ, or through the prophets pointing to Christ, or through the gospels pointing to Christ, or through the epistles pointing to Christ, or through the prophecy pointing to Christ. And so we find that yet all these things are pointing to Him. Therefore, this is of great importance. It is showing us God's redemptive plan for us. So this is just as much a part of our salvation as anything else to lead us to Christ. Now, we must not neglect genealogies because they serve the purpose of bearing record of the historicity of God's Word and reveal the redemptive account of what God has planned and performed in order to save a people by grace through faith in Christ. Notice, this is not just God's plan, but this is God's performance. It has been said that you and I are sort of, uh, it has been said that all the world is a stage. Well, here's the thing we've got to understand. God is the director of this whole show and production, but God is the star of it as well. Not, not you or, or me, right? You and I get to be the ones that put on a tree costume and stand like this, right? That's our role, right? We are backup dancers. We are, we are backup singers, right? We're, we're lights and sound crew, right? Here's what we find. God is the one who is the main character of the redemptive story because it is His plan but it is also His performance. If the Lord does not save, then nobody can be saved. If the Lord doesn't do it, then it don't get done, right? Now, with this, as we continue on here, we find what God is doing through this chapter, and it begins to help us out as we are going to see these names here. Salehammer writes, Compositionally, chapter 10 is also more than merely a list of 70 names. Throughout the list, the author inserts several brief historical notes, verses 8, through 12, verse 14, 19, 25. It is important to pay careful attention to these notes. Each of them is of special relevance to a particular event yet to be recorded in Genesis. And each one of these, as we got to remember, Genesis is the seed for everything else that's taking place in the Bible. And so here we're finding the seeds of the nations that are going to play a major role in the life of Israel, God's chosen people, and in our life, and in the life of of the end times and what the world is shaping up to be one day because there's going to be much of a return back to the days of Babel. We're seeing it now. We'll see it later. We'll get into more details. We get into chapter 11. So make sure you stay, stay tuned with all that because we're going to take some, some good time to deal with all that. Now, furthermore, we see Salehammer continues and he says, before Abraham, right? Abraham comes along in chapter 11 towards the end there. And uh, what chapter 11 does after Babel as you get the generations of Shem, and it continues on. So we, we kind of forget about Japheth 
and, and Ham's descendants, and we, now we get focused in, laser-focused, microscopically focused in on Shem, because it's going to be through him that Abraham will come, and then it's going to be Isaac and then Jacob, and then all the way down the line, ultimately to bring us to Christ. So Hema writes, before Abraham, the nations numbered 70. After Abraham, at the close of the book of Genesis, right, the seed of Abraham also numbers how many? 70. You ever read Genesis and, thought, and, and noticed that? I never did either until I got to study in this passage. It's quite interesting. Look, he goes on and he says, uh, the 70, which is the same as that of the nations. He who is taken from the nations has reached the number of the nations. Such attention to detail suggests the author has in mind a specific understanding of the role of the seed of Abraham. Now what is Abraham going to be promised later on in just a few short chapters? That his seed is going to be more than the stars of the sky and the sand of all the earth, right? It's going to be indubitable as the idea. And what we find is that we've got 70 nations here seen in this chapter. And at the end of Genesis, he's got 70 folks with him. And what we find is that out of him is going to come, if you will, an infinite number of folks. Uh, that God will allow Abraham to be a father of many nations and a blessing to the nations. And so ultimately what we find is that even these great little details throughout the book of Genesis, and throughout all the Bible, we find that God is meticulous in how he has inspired the authors, how he has written down the history of what he desires for us to know because it turns our eyes and our hearts to the Lord, to his faithfulness, to his goodness, to his power, his might, his providence, his will, his work in our life. Now, as we go on and we're going to get down to verses 2 through 5, we've got about 25 minutes or so. We should be able to get through Japheth here. Japheth here in verses 2 through 5, we're going to see his lineage. Uh, just a reminder, we'll go ahead and read these names again so you can hear me butcher them one more time and feel good about yourself, all right? The sons of Japheth, Gomer, right? We've heard that one, Gomer Pyle, all right? So we got one, go. we've heard of Gomer. We've heard of Magog, that's going to come to place with uh, the battle of Gog and Magog, that's going to come on later down the road. And Madai and Javan and Tubal, we've heard that name before already in Genesis by a different fella, uh, his name was Tubal. And Meshech and Tyrus and the sons of Gomer were Ashkenaz and Ripath and Ta. Ta uh, Tagarma, right, I've said all these different already the second time. And the sons of Javan, Elisha, and Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim, by these are the isles of the Gentiles dividing their lands, everyone after his tongue and their families and their nations. So, the line of Japheth will be a people that will spread widely throughout the world and will develop into world-dominating empires with large reach of influence and power. Now, if you go back to your handy-dandy map, right, I drew that map for you, by the way. No, yeah, I'm just kidding. But thank you. We'll get it. I'll get you a gold sticker over there, Danny, for that. That is nice. <laughs> of course I did not draw this sucker, right? I got it off the Internet. That's where you get everything. Uh, but here's what you find. You see Japheth there at the Europe section, right? Y'all know what Europe is? It's over there. Uh, so you get over into Europe, and Japheth is going to be the one that we see all these great empires from. You know where y'all come from? Japheth. That's where we're coming from more than likely here because eventually those Europeans are going to find their way on over here and create us, right? And, and so, uh, let's see. Tonight, just out of curiosity, how many of y'all can, how far back can some of y'all trace your lineage? Any, can anybody go back 100 years? Raise your hand. Can anyone go back 150? 200? 250? All right, can we go back to 1700s, 1600s? Anyone? A few? Really? How far back can you go? 1600. Really? Okay, all right. Perry, how far could... How far? 17. 17. Sharon? 
60, that's impressive. I can go back to about my great-granddaddy. That's about it, right? Uh, so that, that is truly incredible. But what you'll find is as you go back, what we find is that most of our folks, especially here where we're from in southwest Virginia, the vast majority of our folks were coming uh, from uh, European nations, Western European nations, a lot of the, the Celtic folks, uh, Scotch-Irish, things like that, the Welsh, coming over this way and, and uh, developing here in the highlands and, uh, and creating. And, and so ultimately, this is where we come from, right? Uh, now, if you're not from here, then you come from somewhere. Well, I don't know where you come from. But, but here's what we find is that all of us are coming from one of these three boys, and here their group of people are ultimately going to be a very domineering people, a very powerful people. Uh, as McDonald writes, uh, the, the Japhetic people will be the Medes, the Greeks, the Cypriots, etc., on down the line, probably the Caucasian people of Europe and of Northern Asia. Many scholars would also include the Orientals here. There's others who would say the Orientals would belong to uh, the line of Shem as well. It's up for debate, but ultimately it's not much matter. What we're going to find is that after Babel, they're going to be spreading out because they can no longer talk to each other. So they've no longer got this commonality, so they're going to stick with who they know. And then ultimately through uh, the great, uh, the, just the mind-boggling understanding of genetics and um, the way folks come together and have children and the way that uh, this person and this person with their characteristics and their DNA and their genetics and the way that they have children and the way that then that person goes all the way down the line, that's how we are all here today. But yet we find, as we've said before, and we'll say again, one race, the human race, plain period. Now, as we go on here, what we find is that uh, Japheth seems to be the eldest son. That's at least of my opinion, based upon verse number 21 uh, of chapter 10. Unto Shem, also the father of all the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth, the elder. So it seems that Japheth is the older, uh, even to him were children born. But we also find that Japheth, one out of the three boys, right? you got Shem and Japheth are the ones that go backwards when their father's nakedness is exposed and have been defiled. They go backwards with uh, the, the cloth, if you will, and they, they cover him up without viewing the nakedness, without degrading him, and they leave the tent of their father. And then we find that they're going to be blessed for it, whereas Canaan, uh, the, the lineage of Ham, is going to be cursed. Uh, and what we also find about Japheth is, notice this. If you go back to chapter 9, verse number 27. It says, God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. So he's going to be uh, top three of the children of Noah here for sure, but he's definitely right there at number two. He's sort of runner up, if you will, not because he's done anything sinful or anything, but nevertheless, through God's providence, Shem will be the lineage that brings about the Messiah. Uh, Japheth will be enlarged. Uh, both politically, economically, uh, he will have authority, he will have a great span and outreach as well as a population of people, uh, and much of what you and I come from will be under this category as well. Uh, we want to see here then that the fifth uh, is the important verse here. Now, it's not that verses 1, 2, 3, and 4 aren't as important, but you notice those are just dealing specifically with these names. But verse 5 is important for us to note here tonight. By these, by who? By the ones before it, that's the these. The these is verses 2, 3, and 4. By these boys, these fellows, th this lineage, right, the, were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands. Now, the idea of isles, that word isles, when you think of isles, what do you think of? You think of islands. Uh, but the idea for isles in the Old Testament is not merely dealing with islands or, or little, uh, little islands like a Hawaii or something like that. The idea of isles is that that is 
far out Gentile uh, land that is uh, what uh, the book of Acts, what Jesus is going to tell the disciples, the uttermost part of the earth, if you will. All right? That's the idea. It's, it, it's so far out you can't get there from here. Right? It, it, it's out there. Okay? Uh, he goes on, <clears throat> he says, the fifth is the important verse. Two words occur for the first time. And, and that's interesting. In last chapter, we, we had one thing that had been uh, mentioned for the first time in the Bible, and that was Noah with wine and drunkenness. Now, here for the first time in the Bible, we have the idea of the Gentiles uh, being given first. Now, he says um, two words occur for the first time. Gentiles is the first one, translated nations in the same verse, in general and tongue. Uh, we find which indicates a time after the confusion of tongues at Babel. Whitelaw says... The divisions here is fourfold. One, geographical. Two, dialectical. And that's language. Three, tribal. And four, national. The first defines the territory occupied. All right, that's, an, uh, that's the, uh, uh, the geographical, where they're located, right? He says then the second is the language spoken by the Jephthites. The third, their immediate descent. And the fourth, the national group to which they severally belong. And now the Gentile people ultimately will be separate from the Jewish seed that will come through Shem. What is seen is that in Christ, the two become a part of a united singular body and bride of Christ. So you and I are a part of the isles of the Gentiles, if you will. Uh, if you were to, to say here tonight, the idea that by these were the isles of the Gentiles divided into their lands, and that's, that's us. That, that are these non-Jewish nations that are going to come about that are not through the line of Ham or Shem. But these are going to be through the, that of Japheth. These are going to be the European folks. This, are going to be, uh, this is going to be us today. Now, why is this important? Because what we find is that through the rest of the Bible, there is going to be this continuation that we've already seen in the first nine chapters of this sort of unfaithful lineage and a faithful lineage. But then we're going to find for God to give to specifically to his people Israel another division, and that's going to be uh, with a much of their way of life a clean and an unclean division, right? They have clean food, clean clothes, clean uh, behavior, right? Clean certain things that they're supposed to do. And then they have unclean things that they're not supposed to do or be a part of or partake of or even look on or touch, right? Then we also find a great division between God's chosen people, Israel, who are going to be marked out, set apart by God for God and the Gentile worlds. Now, how God was going to deal with the world was going to be specifically through the people of Israel. They were his people. They were to be his spokesmen. They were to be a light unto the Gentiles. They were to point the rest of the world to the Lord. However, what we find about Israel is that as you read throughout their history and the rest of the book of Genesis and the rest of the Old Testament is that time and time again, things are going good. Israel's serving God. Things are great. Hands are up. Pockets are full, right? Things are, woohoo. Then what happens? They go, hey, you know what? I think we ought to make us another God. And then they start committing idolatry. Idolatry leads to immorality. Immorality leads to more idolatry and more immorality and to ultimately several times in the nation of Israel's history, uh, a time where they themselves will then be dispersed from their homeland, from their promised land, and be under captivity. Now, we've got to remember that captivity is much more than just being away from your home or being locked up or being controlled by another nation. They were first held captive to an idolatrous heart. Sin is captivity long before they ever go into the captivity of the Babylonians, the Assyrians, or anybody else for that matter. So we find that the nation of Israel is going to fail time and time and time again, yet God is going to continuously work through them. The Apostle Paul talks about this. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans expresses his great heart for the people of Israel. He says, I, I wish 
Paul says even that he could give up his own life for the salvation of the Jewish people, for his brethren. Uh, He talks about how privileged they were, that they had received the law and the commands of God. You know who else received the Ten Commandments? Nobody. You know who did? The Jews, and the Jews only. What do we find? Who got to see and speak to the Lord through a mediator? Only the Jewish people. And so we find that the Gentiles were separated. They were being often unclean and unfaithful and unknowing. Uh, they, they would not often worship or come. They were outsiders is the idea. They were viewed as unclean. Now this would lead to the Gentile world hating the Jew and the Jew hating the Gentile world. And this would cause a great division. But this is beautiful for us tonight to see. Because while there's a division being made here in the early parts of Genesis, what do we find took place at the cross? We find according to Ephesians chapter number 2, that God Himself, through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, He has broken down that wall of partition between us. Between who? Well, one, vertically between us and the Lord. But if you look in the context of Ephesians chapter 2, the, spe- uh, the, the specificness of it is that of the Jew and the Gentile. So there is not a Gentile church and a Jewish church. There is one church, one body, one bride of Christ. There is either lost or saved, Christian or not. Right? Now with this, the beauty of this is that while we find great division being seen here in Genesis and throughout the Bible, is that one day there will be no more division whatsoever. We don't find this division anymore once we get to the new heavens and new earth. We find that there's no more curse. So there will be no more racism. There will be no more dividing you up and y'all stay over here, we'll stay over here. But we will be one in Christ forevermore to worship our Lord. So that is the beauty of what Christ has done and will accomplish. That's the beauty of what a lineage like this does because it leads us and points us ultimately to Him. Now, ultimately, the, the lineage of Japheth will be the overwhelming majority of mankind and they will fall under the, uh, the group of people who will have much influence. As we find, we, we see here that Japheth is sort of attached to Shem with his blessing. If you look back at chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 26 says, and Noah speaking, and he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. So uh, Noah blesses Shem, and what it appears in verse 26 is an allusion to the fact that Shem appears to already be in covenant relation and walk with the Lord. Furthermore, the very next verse is then, God shall then enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem. So there's going to be a connection between the Gentile and the the Semites, or the Jewish Hebrew people. Now, what's important about this? What does it mean, this idea of dwelling in the tents? Well, this is of interest for us tonight, spiritually speaking. This Bible was first written by what group of people? A Jewish people, right? This Old Testament was written by Jewish folks. The New Testament was written by saved Jewish folks. They were no longer practicing the the Jewish law. Why? Because they were not under the law, but now they were under grace. And we find in the New Testament there's a whole lot of arguing about what that even means in the first century church. Many of us today, we say, oh man, if we could just get back to first century church. Boy, have you ever read the book of Corinthians? (laughs) I don't know if I want to go back to first century church. They had some messed up sin going on in the church. We're bad enough as it is. We don't need to go backwards. Now, now here I get the idea and the principle behind it, getting back to simplicity of following and trusting the Lord. But nevertheless, they had a lot of uncertainty and a whole lot of things going on that just were not good. And what we find, though, is that God is very much at work here and that the Gentile people 
are going to be dependent upon the Jew. Now notice, the Jewish people reject their Messiah. So what does that do? It opens up the preaching of the Gospel to go into all the world so that all who would come can be saved. Notice, we find this same sort of thought with the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Now what does that word Greek mean? Does that mean all Greek people? Well, the idea is that of Gentile. Who's a Gentile? Well, the Isles of the Gentile that are mentioned here, the people of Japheth. So, Japheth being linked to Shem in the blessing of chapter 9 is a foreshadowing of the fact that the Gentiles one day will be included in the plan of salvation. Now, that's a good thing. You know why? Because if that's not the case and you and I couldn't be saved, we'd be out here with no hope. It, here's what happens. If we don't have this connection of Japheth and Shem, through the blessing that Noah gives by God to them, that is foreshadowing the fact that Gentiles will one day be included in the plan of salvation. If you and I don't have that, you and I are going to be just as pagan as the, as the Hamites. We're going to be dancing around golden calves. We're going to be worshiping trees. We're going to be full of all sorts of idolatry. As a matter of fact, you can even do this. You look back at much of the folks of Japheth, the Gentile world, where you and I, we trace back our lineage to, to much of the Western European groups. They were some serious pagan people. Matter of fact, much of the paganism of our ancestors going back to the Celtics and much of the Scandinavian folks, it is coming back with a great number of force. Uh, much of the stuff that we see today that is becoming more popularized is going back to those pagan roots. That's not a good thing. It's an idolatrous thing. It's a dangerous thing. It's a sinful thing. It's a very scary practice. And so we must be careful and very discerning of the times in which we live in because our society is not progressing forward. It's progressing, but it's progressing backwards. right? It, we're, we're going towards sinfulness and idolatry once more. And that's exactly where we are at. So here's what we find with this. Because of the connection with these two sons, because of this connection here, Japheth and his lineage being given here at the first portion of chapter 10, it's going to remind us Gentiles, us non-Jewish born people, that we are grafted into the plan of salvation by God's hand, and that God now saves us and offers salvation to all people, all walks of life, no matter what lineage, background, that we can be saved by grace through faith, through trusting in the Messiah who is of the lineage of Shem. And so ultimately, He's going to be a blessing to all nations. That's what God promised Abraham, and Jesus Christ fulfills that, to be a blessing and a light to all. Now, as we personal, I've got about five minutes. We'll, 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 we'll start off here with the sons of, of Ham here. Verse number 6. And the sons of Ham, Cush, and Mizraim, and Phut, and Canaan. And the sons of Cush, Seba, and Havilah, and Sabta, and Ramah, and Sabteca, and the sons of Ramah, Sheba, and Dedan, and Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty, a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, and the, uh, the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Erech, and Akkad, and Kalna, and the land, in the land of Shinar. That's going to be important. All those things we'll see as we, get, as we progress here. Out of that land went forth Asher and builded Nineveh and the city of Rehoboth and Kala and rest in between Nineveh and Kala. The same is a great city. Now let's stop there for a moment here. We read a whole bunch of names here, but we get to a very important one in one of these notes that we talked about earlier with this man named Nimrod. 
Now, how many of y'all, how many of y'all, when y'all were have, when you were pregnant, you were you were picking out baby names, you got a baby book. Anybody got a baby? Any, no, a couple of you got baby books. The rest of y'all thought you were creative enough. Now, now look what you got running around, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Now, here's what here's what we got. Let me ask y'all, y'all parents, did you ever consider naming your little girl? Um, let's see here, ba- Jezebel or Bathsheba, Any, anything like that. That a couple of you thought about. The, no. How about you said, doctor said, well, you're going to have a little boy. And you said, oh, we're going we're gonna to na- we're going to have us a little Nimrod running around. Yeah. No. Now, if you did, I, I haven't met none of your kids named Nimrod or anything. You might have called them a Nimrod before. I've been called a Nimrod before. And I've done some very Nimrodian things. Like, say Nimrodian, right? That's one right there. That's all right. Hey, at least, at least I'm not a Jezebel. <laughs> I'll be a Nimrod. Now, here's what we find. You didn't want to name your kids that. Why? Because they won't tied with somebody with good character. You say, Nimrod, he's a mighty hunter. Isn't that good? Around here in Carroll County, everybody wants their kid named Nimrod. Oh, he's going to be out there this fall. He's All right. No, that's what we're talking about. We're going to be talking about a wicked man down to the very core. This man is going to be one of the founders, if not the founder, of the Babylonian mystery religion that is going to be destroyed by the Lord Himself one day. And it's going to be celebrated by us, by the way. We'll get into that when we get into Revelation. We'll, we'll get there. And what we find in all of this is that God is able yet still to use pagan, evil people to bring about His plan of redemption. Now, what is so surprising and so incredible is the fact that through all of this wickedness that God didn't send another flood. But God had already said, I'm not going to do that. You can imagine this. All of these folks in chapter 10, at some point in their life, saw a rainbow. Each one of them would have heard it passed down from generation to generation to generation. But you know why? Because all these fellas, either their great-granddaddy or their granddaddy was on that boat. They were one of the eight. If you, were, if you saw something in your life, no one else could ever even imagine. You going to tell somebody about it? Oh, yeah. There's stories in some of our families that pass down from generation to generation, right? You'll pass on recipes and all sorts of important things. You reckon these fellows heard about what God had done? Yes. Absolutely. Sadly, though, what we find is that they could not care less. What we find is that generation after generation seems to get worse and worse. We can either blame the generation before or the generation after, and here's what we often do. We play a generational blame game. We try to find somebody at fault, and you ever notice that we never find ourselves at fault? (laughs) It's always the generation before us. Well, they set us up for this, or it's this young generation, right? But it's never us. Now, here's what we've got to understand tonight. You and I weren't here, so we can't blame ourselves for Nimrod. What we can do is just not name our kids or grandkids Nimrods and, and, and just pray our great caring kids don't turn out to be Nimrods, right? But what we've got to understand about all this is that God 
as all this wickedness comes up, what does he do? He exercises patience, kindness, and grace. Why? Because that's who he is. It's what he does. And what we're going to find is that God is going to allow these folks to rebel against him. And even in the midst of their rebellion, like what the Bible tells us that man... Man, do, man has his own thoughts about what his future is, but God is the one that orders steps. We're going to find that the heart of the king, even as wicked as it is, it is in the hand of the Lord. He turns it about like he turns a river. He does what he wants. And he's able to take a wicked man like this, and he's going to set up, and ultimately what we're going to find is that every bit of wickedness that's going to come out of this, his plan of redemption continues on. God's plan to redeem mankind through His promised seed, through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, will not, cannot, nor ever has been, nor ever will be thwarted. And so you and I, when we come into this, and what we're going to get into next week, because we've got to come to a close now, when we look at the sons of Ham, and we get specifically into some detail about Nimrod, once we get into verse 8 to 14, where it says in your booklet, don't be a Nimrod, I thought that would get your attention there a little bit. <laughs> but we're going to find... So we're going to find great depravity, great wickedness. But we're going to find a God full of patience, kindness, mercy, and grace beyond measure. So tonight, as we close in prayer, let's do so with hearts that are grateful. That God included the parts of the Bible that we don't like to read. So that we can see what He's doing in the grand scheme of all things. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this night. We're grateful that we can gather, grateful that we can worship you. Lord, we're grateful for passages of Scripture like this. And God, forgive us for often skipping over it or not seeing its importance. Help us, God, to have eyes of faith that can see every passage pointing us to Christ, to see the greater picture of your redemptive plan to save us, to, to include us in the plan of salvation. Lord, who are we that you'd be mindful of us? But Lord, we are grateful that uh, your thoughts are many toward us and that you care for us and that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, go with us now as we leave from this night. And God, that you would protect us, watch over us, and Lord, you'd allow us to meditate upon your word, that we would see your great hand upon every moment and every molecule in our life, that we would trust you, that we would be full of faith, that we would be used by you and for your honor and for your glory. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all go sign up on some sort of sign-up sheet in the back, and we'll see.